In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place. This is the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast. I'm Bill Drees. Our main event today is Shelby County Elections Administrator Linda Phillips and new Shelby County Election Commissioner Brent Taylor. Top of the podcast, fun with figures, dollar figures from the first quarter 2019 campaign finance reports. Much of the focus here on the Memphis mayor's race numbers to see how this looks before the summer campaign starts to change things. Incumbent Mayor Jim Strickland has a war chest knocking on the door of $780,000, raising 68535 in the first quarter. His total going into the second quarter compares to 19819 for Challenger and County Commissioner Tammy Sawyer and $6,825 for fellow Challenger and former Mayor Willie Harrington. Sawyer and Harrington each raised close to $26,000 for the quarter. Their balance at the end of the quarter includes spending. Michael Wilson raising $34,808 for the quarter, spending $3,366 for a balance of $31,441. Like I said, a very early barometer. All of the campaigns will keep raising money in the second and third quarters, but it will be spent almost as quickly as it comes in the closer early voting and election day get. Keep in mind that in the 1991 Hackett-Harrington race, incumbent Mayor Dick Hackett outraced Harrington, but in terms of what each candidate spent, Harrington stayed in the ballpark with Hackett and on a pre-early voting election day was the winner by 142 votes. Three city council contenders, including Worth Morgan and candidates Chase Carlisle and Jeff Warren, each raised six figures in the first quarter, which brings us to... Who's running for what? Chase Carlisle making it official on his campaign finance report. He's running for Super District 9, Position 1. The seat council chairman, Kemp Conrad, is leaving because of term limits. Carlisle was the top fundraiser of the quarter across all of the city races by the financial reports filed and posted so far. $120,000 in what is so far a three-way race with Cody Fletcher and Erica Sugarman. Fletcher raised $51,615 in the first quarter. Sugarman decided in mid-March on the Super District race after looking at but passing on a second run for position two or for city court clerk. For the record, Morgan, the District 5 incumbent, raised $106,950 for the quarter. Warren in Super District 9, Position 3, the seat Reed Hedgepath is leaving, raised $101,925 for the quarter. 54000 of that is a loan he made to his campaign. Yes, technically, those are two different things. Attorney J.B. Smiley Jr. opening his campaign for Super District 8, Position 1 this week downtown. This is the seat currently held by Joe Brown, who is term limited. Like the other two Super District 9 seats open because of term limits, this could be crowded. 8-1 already includes Memphis Raise Your Expectations leader Pearl Walker and current District 6 council member Jerry Curry. Smiley ran for Shelby County Commission in the 2018 county primaries. He has also been active in the local Democratic Party, most recently as a vocal supporter of new party chairman Michael Harris in this month's contentious local party convention. 
We're joined now by Elections Administrator Linda Phillips and one of the three new Shelby County Election Commissioners, Brent Taylor. So let's go right to the bill pending in the Tennessee legislature. It passed the House and is awaiting Senate action, and it would make it a misdemeanor with fines for turning in more than 100 voter registration forms that are incomplete, have mistakes, or have the wrong information on them. And we should say there are a couple of different versions of this. It's being amended as we speak. So my question to each of you is, should Tennessee have a law that imposes fines and makes it a misdemeanor to turn in voter registration forms that have mistakes or errors on them? Well, uh, this bill is in response to the tremendous problems that we experienced last fall. Um, and I think it was based upon, you know, one of the components of the bill that I really support is training for voter people who are doing voter registration drives. I think with some training, many of those errors could have been prevented. Uh, but we got thousands of forms in that had no name. Uh, they had a signature that you couldn't read. They were registering people at vacant lots, um, housing projects that had been torn down decades ago. It, it really created a tremendous problem for us. And part of that was because the, it, the group that was paying people were paying by a quota. They, if they turned in X number of forms, they got paid X number of dollars. And so there was a very powerful incentive for the people turning in the forms to make stuff up. Mm -hmm. Brent, your, your thoughts on this? Well, one thing I'm learning is, it, it, because all of this is new to me, having just been appointed to the Election Commission, but one of the things that is important to note is, is how expensive it is for the Election Commission to have to uh, go through each one of those uh, forms because they, they have to research each one of those and they can't just assume, well, this one doesn't look like it's correct and cast it to the side. They have to treat each one as if it could be a valid voter registration. And uh, so it's, it's time consuming. And since it's time consuming, it's expensive for the Election Commission and the staff to devote that much time to something that could be corrected, uh, as Ms. Phillips said, through uh, education, voter registration education, or some other mechanism to uh, make sure that only serious groups with uh, the proper, at least internal training to the group to be out and registering people to vote and mm -hmm. turn those in for voter registration. So, so Linda, you, you referred to what, what happened in the 2018 elections and, and the primary group doing registrations here. There were some local groups, but the primary group was the Tennessee Black Voter Project. And some of this wound up over in, over in circuit court during that time. Did anyone from the legislature ask you about that, that experience as, as this was being drafted? Uh, yes, I provided a great deal of information to the coordinator of elections office, including many samples of forms that, you know, were obviously fictitious. Um, so yes, there was input, and we were not the only county in Tennessee to experience it. And the Tennessee Black uh, Voter Project was not the only group doing this. So there were there were many. <laughs> mm -hmm. So So if there was education, if there was adequate voter education, if there were other measures, then should this still be a misdemeanor to, to do this? Well, the misdemeanor really is not for turning in incorrect forms. Civil penalties can apply there. The misdemeanor would apply for groups that hold forms for more than 10 days or they have them in their possession after the registration deadline. Um, 
or they fail to take the training or they don't register with the Secretary of State. That's the only part of this that is criminal. And it's, as I, you said, a misdemeanor. Mm-hmm. Um, and Bill, if I just yeah. want to think, mm-hmm. one challenge is, and, and Ms. Phillips can help me with the exact dates, but it's my understanding that the, the voter registration forms have to be turned in 30 days before the election. Right. Which is election day. Early voting starts 20 days prior to that. So really, the Election Commission only has about 10 days to go through all of those registrations and to verify them in order to get uh, valid voter registration cards to the appropriate people. So it's not, you know, on paper, it looks like we have 30 days in which to, get, uh, to, to go through these voter registrations and to validate them, when really it's only 10 days. And it's also 10 days to, to remedy anything on the voter registration form that might not be there or there might be questions about because once you start voting, then if the form's not complete or you don't show up on those rolls that are at the polling place, Linda, then you vote a, a different ballot. Well, the, not during the early voting period. That okay. is true on election day. Um, for the early voting period, when we had this influx of forms and there were so many of them that could not be processed, we alphabetized them all. And as voters came in early voting and wanted to vote, uh, we were able to find their form, cure the deficiency, and then they were able to vote on a machine. Now, on the election day process, because those polling places are not connected, um, Tennessee law is very clear, they need to vote a provisional ballot. And there were, of the 8,000 defective forms, there were less than a dozen people that came in on Election Day and voted a provisional ballot, and nine of those were counted. All right. Um, so some of the voter registration projects use a paper form, and, and it's one that, that I think is done by different standards. At least it doesn't take into account the information that you have to provide and, and that you are required to provide in the online registration here. So should there just be online registration? I mean, are, are, the, are the paper registration forms a source of the problem? Well, yes, they were. Uh, most of the problems came on the federal form, and the federal form is required for use in federal elections, but it is tailored to cover the needs of all 50 states and the territories. So it's not the same as the Tennessee form, and when you use a federal form, you're supposed to look at the requirements for Tennessee, and when you sign that form, you are verifying that you meet them. But the 1,300 felons that signed those forms clearly were not informed about the requirements for Tennessee. So, yes, I like online registration. Uh, that's one of the things we have done is we have purchased tablets, and the wizards at our IT department have locked them down so they will only go to the online voter registration sec- um, website. And... We will check them out to groups that want to use them and register voters. They're cellular-enabled tablets. Um, you take my training, you show me your driver's license, and you check out a tablet. <laughs> and, and and you made that offer when we were kind of at at the height of this controversy last year. Mm-hmm, I did. Have have you have you heard from these groups no. since then? About <laughs> no, it? the local groups are interested. The ones that the volunteers who really have an interest in making sure everybody is registered, they're interested. So. And and what percentage of our voting age population approximately is already registered to vote? It's pretty high here. I think so. I did some math. The one thing we don't know is how many people have felonies. But if you assume that the sentencing project information is correct, 
then we have about 80% of our voting age citizen population in Shelby County registered. Mm -hmm. um, I have to tell the audience here, uh, Brent Taylor's name has been on a few ballots in the past uh, over the years. He is a former three-term Memphis City Council member who also served an, on an interim basis on the Shelby County Commission with a run for Congress on his resume as well. And I say that uh, to, to ask, what is it specifically about the experience of running for office, being on the ballot, that you want to apply to what the Election Commission does now that you're on the body? Well, first, let me say uh, I enjoyed my time on the City Council and the County Commission, and uh, I enjoyed my run for Congress, for which I got a participation trophy. <laughs> and um, so, I, you know, everything works out. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm glad that uh, Congressman Blackburn won that election. And and now David Kustoff, who is serving as congressman in another uh, district. And I recently told Congressman Kustoff that there is no one in Shelby County that has received more votes for Congress than me that's not in Congress. Mm -hmm. So, uh, But I have no plans to run for Congress again anytime soon. I, I will tell you it's different. I've thought a lot about uh, the Election Commission. Uh, and in some ways on the surface, it looks like the same type of public service, you know, policymaking, that type thing. Um, but I, as I've thought about the election commission, the, the thing that I've, I've come to, to realize is that really of those other positions that I've held, I really think that this one may be more important than the city council or the county commission in this sense. The other positions are policymaking. You've got issues that you have to deal with. <clears throat> Uh, there are people on both sides of those issues, and every time you voted, you, you wind up making half the, the audience upset with you. The Election Commission, on the other hand, to me is so much more important because the stakes are so much higher. There's room to make mistakes on a, on a uh, legislative body, uh, but on the Election Commission, you have to get this right. Uh, and there's nothing that's more important to the fundamentals of what our country was based on and what our local governments depend on, and that's free, fair, honest elections, that everybody's vote counts, uh, and that every vote, is, every vote is counted. And to me, this position, in many ways, to me, seems much more important than the other two previous public service positions I've held. Mm -hmm. At, as a candidate who's, who's, who's waited on election, returns on election night, what, what, what are questions that, that, that you have or issues that, that you, you want to see addressed? Well, I think um, the sense I get, and this is just my opinion as, as I've kind of thought about the election commission since I was first asked to serve, and uh, Ms. Phillips and I have not talked about this, but the sense I get among candidates and the general public is that there is a lot of confidence in Ms. Phillips. Uh, there are people who believe she's the consummate professional, and they have a tremendous amount of respect for her and confidence in, in her to uh, accurately um, count votes and make sure that every vote is counted and we have free, fair, honest elections. The commission itself, I don't know that the public has as much confidence in the commission itself as they do in Ms. Phillips. And that's one of the things that I want to try to correct um, during my time on the election commission is I, in many ways I, I think some people view the election commission um, as a little more partisan than probably it should be. It's only partisan because you want Democrats and Republicans on the commission 
to be watching one another to ensure that you have free, fair, honest elections. It's not meant that every issue that comes before the commission is a partisan issue where they're, we're looking at things through a partisan prism. It's really just to make sure that each side, both political parties, at the end of the election feel like every vote was counted and was counted the way it should have been and it was a free, fair, and honest mm -hmm. election. Um, so I think uh, Ms. Phillips is where she needs to be in terms of confidence. I'm not sure that the election commission is, and I, I think we can get there with uh, with the three new members that we have, and uh, but time will tell. And and we should point out that, that the election commission does have three new members. It's a five-member body, so a pretty big change on it. The legislative caucuses from Shelby County, Democrat and Republican, have have a very strong voice in who is on the election commission. Do you think that they sensed some of the things that, that, that you expressed about about the election commission? Perhaps. And I I did not speak specifically to that when when they called me and asked me to serve um, because I I did tell them that if you're asking me do I want to replace one of the election commissioners the answer is no um, you know Robert Myers is a friend of mine I've known Robert a long time he was uh, chairman of the Young Republicans when I first moved to Memphis and joined the Young Republicans uh, he and his wife are personal friends of mine and and uh, so. I wanted no part of removing Robert Myers. I, personally, I thought he was was uh, doing a good job. And Robert, if you don't know him, is the nicest, most gentle person you'd ever want to meet. Um, and uh, Commissioner Nolner, I did not know her as well. I knew of her uh, from having been, you know, involved in politics a long time. Uh, so I wanted no part of replacing them. However, they did say that there were going to be some new commissioners, regardless. And I said, well, if you're going to replace them, I would be interested in serving, but I'm not interested in them or me. If it's that arrangement, let them continue to serve. And um, so uh, they appointed me and, and um, uh, Matt Price, who's mm -hmm. the other Republican commissioner, and then, of course, um, Benny Smith, who's Democratic, uh, new Democratic commissioner, right. replaced Commissioner uh, Lester. And Steve Stampson, who has been on the Election Commission since 2010 and is also a former candidate, having been the juvenile court clerk, uh, you all elected him as your new chairman at the uh, meeting earlier this week. That's correct. And I, I will tell you this, uh, Steve, I've known a long time, and he, he is a reluctant chairman because he did not want to serve as, chair, as chairman. He, uh, he and I had a conversation about that, and he was reluctant to do it. And he's pretty low-key uh, kind of guy, um, but uh, I talked with him, others talked with him, and we agreed that he really is the best positioned uh, to serve as chairman because he, his, his tenure, he's been there nine years on the mm -hmm. election commission. We have some issues that are coming up in terms of uh, uh, election machines that need to be purchased. Uh, he has more experience with that. And, and Myself and, and Commissioner Price felt like he was the best person for um, that position. Now, it probably is worth noting that um, pursuant to state law, the chairman has to be a Republican. So um, it was going to be one of the three of us, and then the secretary has to be of the minority party, the Democratic mm -hmm. Party. 
Um, so, but Steve is a reluctant chairman, but I think he'll do a great job. All right. And you mentioned the new voting systems. Linda, let, let me get an update from you because uh, this was moving ahead at a pretty good pace toward some kind of new voting system in the very near future. That's changed dramatically, hasn't it? Well, I was told that it is not a priority of the mayors for the upcoming fiscal year's capital improvement plan. Um, so, I, you know, that's not carved in stone. The commission certainly has the voice in that, so we'll see what happens with that. Um, but I do th want everybody to be aware, if it's not funded in this fiscal year, then we will be using the same voting machines in the presidential election in 2020. Um, if they fund it in 2021, then we will have new machines in 2022. All right. You, you, had, you had the different manufacturers who might bid on this come in and demonstrate the machines last year. Uh, it, is there an RFP process that's still in motion on this? Um, I've written an RFP. We're just kind of waiting to see. Um, voting machine vendors uh, will be happy to quote on it whenever we issue it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Brent? Uh, again, how how important is it that we have new voting machines and new voting machines that that have a paper trail? Well, and I'm I'm beginning to learn a lot about voting machines. I, you know, I, my role up until this point as a candidate has always been to try to figure out how to get people to punch my name on the machine, not mm -hmm. necessarily how the machines work uh, and what all is involved in 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 um, keeping that that paper trail, if you will, or, or ways for people to inspect the machines after the elections when elections are contested. So this is kind of all new to me as well. Uh, but, but I will say this, and that is that um, the machines have to have the confidence of the public. Um, and I think the first thing we need to do right now, I don't think either local political party has confidence in the machines. Uh, the machines were actually purchased uh, when the Democrats had control of the uh, election commission and Republicans were outvoted. And now then Republicans control the election commission and the Democrats don't have confidence in the very machines that they purchased. Um, so I, I think to restore that confidence that I was telling you about that I think the election commission is lacking, not Ms. Phillips, but the commission itself, is we have to get new machines that everyone, both parties, minority party and Republicans, um, have confidence in. If the local parties have confidence in the machines, then I think they're more likely to have confidence in the outcome of the election and will dramatically reduce the number of lawsuits that the election commission is involved in. That was one of the probably the, the most shocking thing I learned after being appointed to the election commission was how much of the election commission's time is consumed with lawsuits uh, between candidates, between parties, between uh, the state election commission and, and uh, candidates and political parties. And many times the election commission is simply caught in the middle and is drug into these lawsuits. And all we're trying to do in the previous commissions is follow the law. And uh, so that's probably the thing that shocked me the most was how many lawsuits the election commission deals with mm -hmm. shocked well, me too when i got took the job <laughs> yes and and we saw a number of them l last year uh, uh, a final point uh linda there is this police and fire union petition drive that we've talked about before and uh, they submitted petitions with uh 
100, more than 100,000 signatures on it. Your staff is still going through it. What, what, what's the latest on where we are and, and what's the threshold for this again to, to get on the ballot? To, to put the question of increasing the sales tax on the ballot, they need 38,450 signatures. Uh, as of earlier today, we had validated 18,000 of them. Um, so we're just, people want to know how long it's going to take. We're doing as fast as we can. Mm -hmm. And and that, of course, is dependent on, on other things that you're doing. Uh, and should be noted that on Monday, you start taking petitions for the Arlington municipal elections in September. Uh, come May, you'll start, people will start pulling petitions for the city of Memphis elections in October. So all of that has to be balanced with the other things that you have to yeah, do. Yeah, and, well. you know, because of various federal laws, I can't, I, I need to have my very best temporaries available for the elections. I'm having to bring in new temps and train them, which is slowing the process down. You know, I'm only allowed to employ a temp for a certain number of days in a calendar year. Mm -hmm. so. and, and you've got kind of three troughs that, that you're putting these signatures in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One, one would be signatures that are valid. Uh, the, the petition shows the voter's name and their address as they are registered and their signature matches. Uh, then we have a group that we don't have a signature for. Um, the MPA was very strategic in collecting their signatures, and they went to a lot of older, very established neighborhoods where there's not much turnover. And many of those voters have been registered for decades, and we don't have an electronic version of their signature. So those voters go into what we call the pending pile. And if we get to the point where we've gotten through all of the pages and we don't have the required number of signatures, then we will go back to the microfilm of their original registration and verify the signature. Because state law specifically requires that we compare signatures. All right. Uh, Shelby County Elections Administrator Linda Phillips, Shelby County Election Commissioner Brent Taylor. I'm Omar Youssef, County Government Reporter for the Daily Memphian. Shelby County Commissioners met with the Shelby County School Board April 17th to talk about the district's operating budget for the upcoming fiscal year. Commissioners and school board members called the meeting historic because it was the first time in recent history the two bodies have held a joint meeting of any kind. The Shelby County Schools preliminary budget is a little over a billion dollars. Shelby County Schools is also requesting $63 million in capital project needs. While no action was taken at the meeting, it was another sign of intent from the county commission to play a more active role in education funding moving forward. At the meeting, County Commissioner Edmund Ford Jr. also gave school board members a list of 40 questions he wants answered in the next 30 days in relation to the district's funding in recent years. The questions range from detailing the county's funding revenue for Shelby County Schools to the district's current general fund balance. Ford Jr. is a former Shelby County Schools teacher and City Council Budget Chairman and has been outspoken on the district's various budget requests since his election to the County Commission last August. The next step for Shelby County Schools in the budgeting process is presenting a proposed budget to the school board. The school board will likely vote on the administration's budget proposal at its May 21st meeting. Shelby County Schools is then expected to present its budget to the County Commission June 5th. The County Commission will likely vote on the district's budget June 19th. To keep up with the latest in Shelby County government, go to dailymemphian.com. For the Daily Memphian Politics Podcast, I'm Omar Youssef.
Budget season at City Hall is our topic on Behind the Headlines. Our guests are City Chief Financial Officer Shirley Ford, City Council Chairman Kemp Conrad, and City Council Budget Committee Chairman Martavius Jones. On the show, some first indications that this budget season at City Hall might be somewhat different from the past three of the Strickland administration. Clearer indications in our conversation that some on the council will try to make the two different levels of pay raises for city employees proposed by Strickland the same or at least closer together. Subscribe to The Daily Memphian at dailymemphian.com. You can subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Memphian, at DM, and at Omer A. Youssef. I'm Bill Drees. The Daily Memphian Politics Podcast is produced by Natalie Van Gundy and comes to you on the OAM Network. In-depth journalism in the Memphis community, The Daily Memphian is of Memphis, not just in Memphis, and seeks to tell the stories of this city. TheDailyMemphian.com. Truth in place.